Welcome to episode four of the Iowa Revolution podcast. We're part of the Iowa Podcasters Collaborative. I am your host, Spencer Dirks, alongside my co-host, Dr. Bob. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, make sure you subscribe to our Substack. We are Iowa Revolution on Substack. Dr. Bob, how you doing? I'm doing great, Spencer. Thank you. We'll get to your morning here in a bit. We've got a lot of stuff to get to. It's been a very busy week for the Iowa State House. A lot of bills have been advancing, of course, probably have another week or two of the uh, Congress people and senators meeting in Des Moines. We also have a little bit of cock talk to get to. We've got a new possible Republican primary uh, nominee, Tim Scott, might be putting his hat into the ring. Democrats have selected where they're going to be holding their 2024 convention. Also, Dominion Voting versus Fox News. That trial is set to start today. We're taping on Tuesday, so that will be released on Wednesday. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Clarence Thomas is in some hot water. He's got a very tight relationship with a big Republican mega donor, so we'll discuss that. Caitlin Clark continues to be really the only good news in the state of Iowa, at least from my point of view. And then that will also lead into our top five this week. It's my top five Iowan-born athletes. We've discussed that several times in our podcast so far. I think it's finally time that we put that in writing. So first and foremost, Dr. Bob, we will get to the Iowa legislature. SNAP benefits, that bill has advanced. Uh, The bill needs to be passed by the Iowa House, but it has passed through the Senate. And we've discussed that several times already in the short life of our podcast. And I know that you and I are big fans of the SNAP program. Even the Farm Bureau Association came out in support of the SNAP program because to make this a federal level thing, that's one of the things that they're discussing. Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans are discussing lowering SNAP benefits at a federal level as part of that debt ceiling raise and that negotiation. So it is both state and national news. It also made the Washington Post. They had an article about how it started in Iowa, probably going to be expanding into other states. But I guess your thoughts on now it's passed the Senate, probably will pass the House, and then just a signature away from becoming law and making it harder for poor families to feed their children. Yeah, it's uh, not only SNAP, but it's also going to pull some people off of Medicaid, Medicaid too. Yeah, yeah. And so, I don't know, there's several thousand that will be pulled off of SNAP, maybe eight or 9,000 pulled off of Medicaid, and it's going to cost millions of dollars so that we won't get millions of dollars in federal funds. And so it's obviously not about the money. Republicans are normally interested in money. And there's this, this is going to take hiring of new government officials to administer this. So if it's not about the money, what is it about? It's about their version of the way the world is structured, that the world is full of cheats and that they just... You know, they just need to make sure we don't have any cheats. But the SNAP abuse is nearly non-existent, less than 1%. About half of the people on SNAP, half of the families on SNAP have somebody disabled or children. This is a life net for a whole lot of people. And the Farm Bureau is for it because it's good for farmers. It's good for rural America. There's lots of rural Americans that, that use SNAP. And, and hunger is a big issue. And speaking of the Farm Bureau, they specifically said to not make it, speaking to their Republican cohorts, don't make it into a city versus rural thing because this is just as much, if not more, a rural issue than it is 
an urban issue. And then, of course, you can conflate race into that because a lot of the Republicans think, oh, all these blacks and Mexicans are, are you know, on the welfare state and they're just mooching off the government, which is absolutely not the case, certainly not the case in Iowa. So even the Farm Bureau is saying, hey, you're going about this wrong. Yeah. You're, you're targeting the wrong people that are actually going to be taking the brunt of this. Well, and it's not a coincidence that at the same time, just late last night, actually this morning, 4.30 in the mo- this morning, they passed the new child labor legislation where, you know, kids can work later, serve alcohol. There's all, you know, work on construction sites, all kinds of different things. So they want, they think that there's all these people on SNAP. They're going to pull them off of them because they want them back on, on the job market. And then you give kids more hours to work. It's to put people and kids into jobs, sometimes dangerous jobs, when kids shouldn't be doing that. Are they going to force you know people on disabilities to work rather than get their SNAP benefits? That's going to be hard. And so it's bigger than this in the sense that the kids are going to be working and are the rich kids that are going to the private schools that are being funded with taxpayer money. So are the rich kids going to be working at Hy-Vee or at Come and Go or Quick Trip? No, no. Right. it's going to be the poor kids. And so the poor kids are going to they're going to have to work because their parents have been kicked off of SNAP or Medicaid. So everybody's going to have to work. So the kids will do worse. School scores will fall. Testing scores will fall, which will be more fodder for Republicans to say, oh, we need to take more money out of public schools. More private schools, right? Yeah. More. And so it's this cascading thing to destroy government, essentially. But they've been doing this since Reagan slowly, you know, picking away at it, saying that government doesn't work and that it should all be in private industry. And all this money is being sucked up and out, a lot of it out of Iowa to firms outside of Iowa that are going to be administrating all of this stuff. It is a three-pronged attack. Of course, the SNAP and Medicaid benefits, which we just talked about. You were just talking about the child labor legislation that has passed. The Senate It's now on to the House and then public and private schools. Right. So It's all that, interconnected. It's Don't, all connected. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went to the, the Capitol building today. There was a, a press conference, sort of a protest, asking the governor to veto it. By the time this airs, I bet she's already signed it. I doubt if she's going to veto it. And like 250 faith leaders came out against this bill, too, saying that it's, it's the wrong thing to do. And so it just coincidentally, I'm, I'm in the rotunda, I'm looking down at the press conference where just different leaders... Uh, legislators and and community people that help feed the hungry. I was watching that, and then there were kids visiting the Capitol. So a long stream of of elementary school kids were were streaming above the people pleading for Governor Reynolds to not sign this bill. And all I could think about was which of these kids, how many of these kids, in some areas, 50% of people are on reduced lunch benefits. And so how many of those kids are going to go hungry because of what the Republicans are doing? And it's going to cost the state more money, as you said. Pennsylvania tried this about 10 years ago, and three or four years into it, they scrapped the whole thing because they were bleeding a bunch of money trying to test people. You know, they had the asset tests and all the administrators, everybody that has to go through the paperwork. So... The senator that brought that up was basically saying, 
states are the incubator of all of these different things so we can find what happened well we can also find what happened badly and pennsylvania has already tried this and they scrapped it about as soon as they possibly could which i'm hoping that iowa does the same thing hopefully we have much different leadership in three or four years but it is probably going to be the law of the land at least as long as kim reynolds and the republicans are in charge and i do want to mention too the bill is the brainchild of a florida think tank funded by the super wealthy. How about that? The biggest proponent is the Opportunity Solutions Project, whose funding has been linked to Republican super donors, Charles Koch and the DeVos family. Yeah. You know, those are great names. When those people are involved in your state legislature and writing bills for your state, you're effed. And the DeVos family, former Secretary of Education under the Trump administration, all for... Uh, vouchers for public funds going to private schools because they've got companies that make money off of it. Exactly. It's crazy. Well, and then you may have seen, too, Governor Reynolds has nominated and it's been accepted the new Department of Education director for the state of Iowa, and he's a big private, never worked in public schools in his entire life. He's a big private school proponent. So, surprise, surprise. He's never taught in a classroom. Our Department of Education head has never been a teacher. That's ridiculous. Child labor laws, let's get a little bit more into that. It has passed the Iowa Senate. It's on to the House. Just a few of the things from the bill. Kids can work longer and later hours and do things like use a compactor that would violate federal law. There are several things in this bill that will probably not be up to snuff and will be challenged and hopefully struck down by the courts. Uh, Also, 14-year-olds can work six-hour nights. 15-year-olds can work on assembly lines. 16- and 17-year-olds can serve alcohol in restaurants. The bill originated in the office of the governor and was written by top corporate lobbyists led by the Restaurant Association. Again, it's passed the Senate. It'll go on to the House and then await the governor's signature if it does pass through the House. You, I mean, this just goes in line with we're going to deny the SNAP benefits as fastly as we can, Medicaid benefits, we're going to get rid of those as fast as we can, so then that's going to force all these poor kids to be working outside the home in many times unsafe working environments. Yeah. (laughs) The the cruelty is astounding. It just is. It really is hard to put into words how to respond to it because it really does just seem completely crazy. I mean, child labor laws, if anything, we should be making it stricter for kids to work in some of these environments. And we're making it less strict. Right, because the big corporations want it to happen and the Republicans are going to to make it happen. And at the same time, they get to destroy the public schools. Right, I mean, yeah. So it's, it's a win-win for them. And probably it's all wins for them until the next election when the people recognize what has gone on and vote them out of office. It does seem odd to find how we got here because school choice was, I think, probably the biggest thing that most of the Republicans were talking about during the last election cycle. So that was not a surprise when that happened. But a lot of these things that are coming through now, which we'll get to guns being allowed on school property, NRA gun safety courses, we'll get to that later on. But it's like, where the heck is this even coming from? Who is asking for this? I mean, we know it's the rich donors, but do the Republicans really think that nobody's paying attention? I mean, are they? is that what they're hoping for? That's what they're hoping for, but they've got an underlying sort of 
bizarre, unrealistic ideology that's driving it. But they aren't going to they aren't going to admit to this because they don't even recognize it. They some of them recognize it, but they don't like government feeding the poor because that's a family thing. The family should do it. And if the family can't do it, then the church should do it. Every time that the government gives a kid a cookie, it's a lost opportunity for the church to step in and make them Christians. And then if everybody was a Christian, they wouldn't have all these trials and tribulations. Everything would be all hunky and dory. And so that's the rationale behind it. And the fact of the matter is most churches I know can barely keep the doors open. Exactly. Well, and the thing is, they live in a fantasy world. Sure, in a fantasy world, we wouldn't need government programs. The churches would step up and they would have plenty of money, but nobody has enough money because the rich people have taken it all in the first place, and now they want even more of it. Right. It's all been sucked up the supply chain to the to the rich. And it started in 1980 with Ronald Reagan and Reaganomics. And yeah. it's tipped our country. It's turned it upside down. And I saw today, this is a little bit off the beaten path, but Bernie Sanders was talking today about estate taxes, which estate taxes don't kick in, to my understanding, until $13 million. Like, so if you have more than $13 million and you want to pass that on to the next generation, then at that point it would be taxed at whatever the percentage of that would be. And Bernie Sanders came out and said, I want to keep this. If anything, let's lower it because that just continues to lead to more generational wealth and people not being able to get a leg up and the rich just keep on keeping on. And a lot of people didn't know that the estate tax was like $13 million. So a lot of people are against it. But I guess it just goes into the fact of a lot of people are just misinformed. Hmm. It's got, that, that bill would save a lot of money for the government, or I guess collect a lot of money from the government, from really, 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 really rich people. Right. And they call it the death tax. And they right. say that it's going to... And they say that it's going to uh, destroy family farms. Every banker I see, I always ask them a question. Have you ever seen anybody lose a farm because of inheritance taxes, estate taxes? And, I, and never. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's like $13 million. Yeah. And then there's all kinds of ways around it for the rich, where you have a person washing dishes at a Denny's, or you know any restaurant is paying a higher percentage in taxes than the, than the wealthy. It wasn't that long ago. It was in my lifetime, where there was a ninety percent tax right. on the on, on the, the upper upper echelon. Yeah. Right. Upper, so once upper. you so at this day and age, it'd be ninety percent on what income over a million or whatever you want to put that number at. So yeah. it's not like that's another thing too, where I don't think people understand the progressive tax rate where. We're not saying we're taking 90% of all of their income. It's just once you start making this much money, anything above that will be taxed at 90%. Yeah. So if anything, that would cause a lot of those people to actually reinvest in their companies or their business or their family or their communities so they're not having to pay that much tax. And that's how it worked back when it was 90%. People didn't want to make that much money, or if they did, it was just kind of a cherry on top. Right. And I think that it's still sort of like that. You know, maybe 90% is, is too high. I think that's what it was. But it was after a certain point. Right. And I think it's still that way in Australia. And yeah. they seem to be doing fine. They seem to be doing fine. We did mention the Iowa House has moved forward a bill that would allow guns on public school grounds. And they also want to force NRA gun safety programs on K-12 through students. 
K through six would have Eddie the Eagle, I think is the NRA mascot. So basically him saying, if you see a gun, go find an adult and don't touch it, which is something that you should be teaching regardless. That's fine. But then they actually want to do like NRA hunting safety courses for high schoolers, nine through 12. And you did also probably see that they're allowed on public school grounds. Right. Guns are not allowed. Well, I shouldn't say that. It is up to the private school whether or not they want guns to be allowed on campus. Same thing for colleges. Public universities, you can't make a rule one way or the other. Central, Simpson, Grinnell, they can make up whatever rule they would like. Well, and what's interesting to me is this this is insidious, is you let in Eddie and the Eagle Team cartoons. Right. And so you get kids, and so every kid, in elementary school is going to want to watch the cartoon. And so then what it does is then it normalizes the NRA to the kids. The NRA is good to the kids. They see that when the NRA is the major force preventing us from any common sense gun control that the American people actually want. So the people that are stopping us from doing background checks, for doing red flag laws, for doing assault weapons bans, they're in the school and they're indoctrinating the kids that they're great. And then again, just like the private schools, this fits the Republican ideology. Right. They want to indoctrinate kids into gun culture. And the United States of America certainly already has a gigantic gun culture. And I do think it's, it bears repeating that again, For all the public school students, all of us poor people that send our kids to public school and pay our tax money, at least as of now, to public schools, we can't make that decision on our own. We have to rely on the legislators in Des Moines. But if you're Pella Christian or Cedar Rapids Xavier, you're left to your own devices. If you don't want guns to be on campus, they're not allowed on campus. Should also make sure that it's clear that when I say on campus, it's basically parking lots is what they're talking about. Guns would still not be allowed in schools, but you could keep a gun in your car if you're a teacher. I mean, obviously, you have to be of age. You have to legally be allowed to own a firearm, period. But if you're a teacher, you can just have a gun in your car. As long as it's out of sight and your car is locked, that is legal. Or that would be legal if this did pass and was signed. Yeah. Well... I mean, what that means, that easy access, is let's just say that somebody goes off, gets angry, and goes out to look for their gun. If they had to go home and get their gun, they'd have some time to think. Exactly. And isn't that what we really want anyway when it comes to background checks and red flag laws? Give both the buyer and the government or whoever's selling it time to find out who the person is and for that person to calm down possibly from what they were planning to do with that firearm. Do want to kind of put, certainly not a bow, but want to update. We talked last week about the fetal heartbeat law and that's being discussed by the Iowa Supreme Court. It does continue. It started last week and you brought up the composition of the Supreme Court. It would be shocking if they did not go along with Kim Reddle's side, which she does want the fetal heartbeat ban to be put into place where abortions would be banned effectively after six weeks of pregnancy, which would be a week or two after a woman even at the earliest would know that she is pregnant. So she wants that. The Iowa Supreme Court said that that was unconstitutional since the U.S. Supreme Court has struck down Roe v. Wade and the Iowa Supreme Court has said that abortion is not part of the Iowa Constitution. It does not grant that right. And 
Governor Reynolds has appointed five of the seven current justices. They're expected to issue an opinion by the end of June, so still two-ish months, two and a half months to go before we get a decision, but I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion what they're going to decide. If she's appointed five of the seven justices, it's hard to imagine that they would not go her way. Well, it's interesting in that Ron DeSantis just signed a six-week abortion ban. Well, he did it like in the dead of night. Yeah. He didn't make any announcements about it because they've discovered what we knew before, that abortion, as the laws were with respect to Roe v. Wade, when it was still in the books, what, 65% of the American people wanted it that way? Mm -hmm. And so now abortion has become a campaign issue. You know it hurt them in the midterms. They're backing off of it. They're sort of waffling on it. They're looking for better messaging on abortion, which will mean some kind of compromise, maybe. We'll see. But they're, they're not wanting it to be an issue, and it is an issue. And people have to remember it is an issue. The American people want it overwhelmingly American women want it. And so this is just, it's a disaster for them. So they have to somehow get away from it. It doesn't seem like it's a disaster for Kim Reynolds, though. You mentioned DeSantis. He did it quietly. She's not being quiet about this. In fact, she was illegally in the Iowa Supreme Court hallway in an area that was restricted from her to talk to presumably her buddies on the Iowa Supreme Court and say, hey, do me a yeah. favor. Who knows what the conversation was? Who knows if she even talked to anybody there? But she was Why wearing was she it. there? Exactly. Why did she go up and... Uh, the only assumption is that she was showing her support for the law that she wants. And whether she talked to anybody or not, the Supreme Court justices are certainly aware of her presence. Right. Yeah, I think I read that she didn't see anybody. But she shouldn't have been there. Exactly. But I'm just saying, she is not being quiet about it, which is interesting. I mean... We don't know what her future prospects are. You've mentioned that she is probably favoring against not running for Iowa governor again. But, yeah, if she wants to be on the vice presidential ticket or someday run for president, it might be time to change her messaging a little bit, too. Especially as a woman, you would think. Her as president just gave me chills. <laughs> well, I, I hope that doesn't oh happen. I don't think it will happen. But there's also a lot of people that run for president that you'd never would think and right. probably don't have much of a chance and she could be one of those and that sort of leads us into cock talk we are uh, what nine ten months away from the iowa caucuses it's especially important for the republicans this time of course joe biden has not really said one way or the other whether he's going to be running for the democratic nomination he has said that he plans on it but that's about as far as he's gone he's not officially said that he is going to be part of the nomination process. Two things Republican-wise, then we'll get to one bit of Democratic news. I mentioned South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. He's opened an exploratory committee to run for the Republican nomination for president, South Carolina Senator. He's the only uh, current black individual that's in the Republican primary. Thoughts on in Tim the Senate, too. Right. Also the only black Republican in the Senate. Any thoughts on Tim Scott? Well, he was, you know, he was really projected to be the evangelical Christian that people might be looking for. He supposedly was to be a, a non-grievance candidate, unlike Trump, and sort of optimistic and, 
And so I was sort of looking for that message coming out, but his uh, campaign announcement was formulaic, predictable, whiny, <laughs> grievance-based, so he's not off to a good start. And he can't give a good answer on abortion. He's flip-flopped all over it, which is what, you know, what I'm saying. They're looking for a message. Yeah, it's interesting. And I went to a Nikki Haley event the other day. I was going to, yeah, that's enough about Tim Scott, to be quite honest. But I want to get your thoughts on Nikki Haley, because she also did talk about abortion recently. And she said, leave it up to the states, which I think for now is probably a good message, especially if you're running for a federal office. Obviously, if you're running for a statewide office, you kind of have to make a decision because... If you're going to leave it up to the states, that's who's going to be making those decisions. But I did think it was interesting and possibly a winning message for Nikki Haley. She is a woman. She obviously wants to appeal to Republican women. And one of the ways to do that is to steer clear of that issue, I think. Well, at her event, it was actually a a Women for Haley event. It was in Des Moines. Um, And I always love it when uh, politicians go to the Temple of Performing Arts, Performing (laughs) Arts, to give a speech. But anyway, there were 75 or 80 women there, a handful of men. She had a powerful message. She, you know, sort of said, I don't hate pro-choice people, you know, just like I don't hate pro-life people. We've just got to get together and figure out where we go from there, which is a more tactical perspective. I don't know if it's going to help her with Republicans, but it helped her with those women in the audience because you know those women in the audience. Some of them have had abortions or their sisters have or their moms have or their daughters have or a friend has. And so they're nodding as she's looking for a common sense, in air quotes, negotiation and conclusion. And she doesn't want it to be a political football. One of the things that she did say too was that she went off on this trans-influencer People that, you know, they shot up the bed lights for. Sure. Um, she said, this trans issue is the women's, women's issue of our time. And she translated it in, into uh, protecting girls' sports. And, you know, I don't know of any time, and, and talking about biological boys competing against biological girls, and I don't know of any instance in Iowa where that has happened. But uh, she's projecting this as the women's issue of our time, and a lot of those women are nodding. And the Democratic response to all of this trans issues is we, you know, support and love our trans friends, family, and neighbors. But the girls' sports issue could turn into a really big thing. And so, and so as the women's issue of our times, Nikki Haley is saying, we'll see, you know, what that is. And we'll see how the, what the Democratic response is. She also gave a very powerful foreign policy speech. She talked from experience about the importance of Ukraine as an ally, she, you know, where Ron DeSantis and Trump and everybody else is waffling on, not everybody else, lots of Republicans in Congress are waffling on Ukraine. She very forcefully said, Ukraine is one of our best allies. They are always with us in the United Nation. They're always with us everywhere. And it is a freedom-loving country. These are people like us. This isn't about just Ukraine versus Russia. This is about freedom. And so it's very powerful, very powerful a foreign policy speech. You're working on a piece about her path to the White House. What is her path to the White House? Because from I'm not a Republican, but a lot of the stuff you just said sounds appealing from a Republican point yeah. of view. She obviously does have a lot of experience, well-rounded experience. She's been in the UN. She's done foreign tours. She's been in Congress. So if you're trying to put together a resume to be a president, she's got a very good one. 
Yeah, she's got a couple of, well, she also has, has a strong record on the economy in South Carolina. Her lane is women and uh, foreign policy. She's going to be better at foreign policy than anybody. And so actually her path is pretty clear. And, and so is Tim Scott's. If you look at the order of the primary caucus and primary states, number one is Iowa, number two is New Hampshire, number three is South Carolina, where they are from. Right. So Nikki Haley or Tim Scott do well in Iowa after DeSantis and Trump beat them up. And when people, you know, Republicans are pragmatic in Iowa, they, you know, most of them know Trump probably isn't going to beat Biden. So they're going to be looking for an alternative. And if it is as it is now, if you have Nikki Haley or Tim Scott coming out of Iowa, New Hampshire strong, then the home state gets to decide. So South Carolina gets to decide. And in polling in South Carolina, I think April 12th, Trump leads at about 40%. DeSantis is about 21%. Nikki Haley is up there at about 18%. She's almost to DeSantis. Yeah. And Tim Scott is about 8%, if I remember right. And that would have been before, really, he even announced. So right. he might so, get a little bit of a bump here in the next poll. He might. So we'll see. We'll see. But it appears they like Nikki Haley better. So, But who knows what they're, how they will vote. All one of them has to do is come out and, and, and win one of those states. Yeah. And this, or come in second, and then let's then let's see what South Carolina has to say. And one of your favorites, Chris Christie, has began the, I guess, look see at possibly putting his hat in the Republican nomination. And you've mentioned his name several times before on the podcast. Maybe he is the one that uh, is the bare knuckle fighter that takes on Trump and DeSantis and clears the way for people like Nikki Haley or Tim Scott. <laughs> well, I know that's what you're hoping for. He, yeah. Well, he isn't my favorite. He isn't one of my favorites. But I think he can go toe-to-toe with Trump. I think he's smarter than Trump. I think he's as mean and nasty as Trump. Have it be like a oh, roller derby. <laughs> where, where <laughs> yeah, Chris he's Chris, clear in the way, right. Yeah. He's so the he's enforcer. Gonna, yeah. yeah, that's right. Let Chris Christie do that, and then let's see who, who skates around the brawl. And who knows? I mean, if Chris Christie does that, depending on how he goes about it, he may not be the one clearing the way for somebody else. He might be clearing the way for himself, too. He might. And I just have to say again that Pence isn't going to be in it. (laughs) Pence, (laughs) he's my most despised person. Pence, you know, they say he's on a... uh, uh, exploratory trip, you know, looking to see, you know, if people want him to run or not. No, he's not. He's on a walk of shame. <laughs> that is Walk perfect. of shame. They booed him at the NRA convention in his own state. Yeah. Walk of shame. And so his family, <laughs> so the only reason that he would do this is if, if he is truly a masochist and enjoys the pain. <laughs> well, you never know. He, he might be. And then his family needs to do an intervention. He needs to just retire to Arizona and sit next to Dan Quayle and sip yeah. iced tea. If, just disappear. If Quayle will have him. I wrote the vice, about that. The Vice President's Club down in Arizona. Vice President Loser Club. I like it. It's time for a wider scope. We don't have a whole lot of time left. So a couple more things to get through before we're done. This is the Iowa Revolution Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Spencer. He's Dr. Bob. Dominion Voting versus Fox News. The defamation trial is set to begin today. We're recording on Tuesday. It will be released on Wednesday. 
Fox Corporation chairman Rupert Murdoch and prominent hosts like Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity knew former President Donald Trump's lies about the election were wholly detached from reality, but leaned into the voter fraud theories on their shows. They had text messages that were revealed that showed a handful of journalists at Fox News who did push back against Trump's lies were disciplined afterward. The company, as in Dominion, alleges that Fox News knew the lies it promoted about its technology were false, but that the channel allowed the lies to take hold on its air to protect its lucrative business. Fox denies that, but that is pretty much what this trial is about. Dominion Voting Systems took a beating from Fox News for no freaking reason all because Donald Trump pointed the finger at Dominion voting just to muddy the water. And now the chickens may be coming home to roost for Fox News. And really, two outcomes are possible here. Neither are good for Fox. And again, the trial is set to start today. There was an 11th hour delay. It was supposed to start Monday. Sunday night, they delayed it, which a lot of people took as Fox News is just going to settle before it gets to trial. So now it's either they settle during the trial or they let this trial drag out and all of this stuff becomes public. And even if they win, what do they really win? I mean, you would think that they would lose more money in stock shares and advertising dollars than they would winning the lawsuit. Yeah. No, it's going to be really interesting to see. And it's amazed me that they've got away with so much so many lies for so long and let's and let's just say this too we've got some radio stations in Iowa and across the land that are still perpetuating this nonsense still letting it be on their airwaves and i don't understand what's the fcc for the airwaves are the publics they're not fox news it's airwaves they're the publics and if they're trying to destroy the public's confidence in our government and in our country, it's undemocratic. Right. And, the, and the FCC is just letting it happen. So it's going to be interesting to see what the results are. There's concerns about how they're going to prove actual malice. And uh, some journalists are, are concerned that our First Amendment rights will be violated. So I don't know. Stay tuned. Well, yeah, Dominion lost how much money? Because I'm sure there was a lot of local municipalities, counties across the country that use Dominion voting machines would probably order more Dominion voting machines. And with this controversy, I'm sure a lot of those orders got canceled because of Fox News' lies. I want to see all of those Fox News hosts standing on a stage on Fox News repeating every night for a year, we lied to you. That would be nice if that was part of the stipulations of the lawsuit. That yeah. would be... Fantastic. Other wider scope news. We mentioned off the top that Clarence Thomas has accepted lavish trips and gifts from a wealthy Texas donor named Harlan Crow. He's flown on, Clarence Thomas has flown on his private jet many times. Clarence Thomas's mom lives in a property owned by Harlan Crow that she does not pay for. She pays the insurance and taxes on it. And they've gone to you name it. I mean, they've gone on all sorts of overseas trips. They've been to exclusive clubs together. And Harlan Crow is also a Nazi memorabilia collector. <laughs> because yeah. of course he is. Of course he is. <laughs> I mean, you can't make this shit up. No, you can't. And it's just crazy. And, you know, that Thomas says that he didn't, you know, he didn't know he was supposed to report this. Bullshit. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, he left the name blank. So he filled things out, but he didn't put Harlan Crow as the person that gave him this gift. Because if anything over $1,000, so it's not even like extravagant thing. Well, I guess to me, $1,000 is pretty extravagant, but to a Supreme Court justice, $1,000 is nothing. So you're supposed to report all these things. He's the fucking Supreme Court justice. He should know how to fill out paperwork. Well, I was reading the And he does, by the way. He's just lying. He, he wanted to keep it hidden. He knew that it was wrong and wanted to keep it hidden. You can't, as a Supreme Court justice, say, I didn't know how to fill out the paperwork. Right. Like, that just does not fly. Well, and over several years, six maybe, his wife got like $650,000 in payments from the Heritage Foundation, and he didn't claim that either. Right, and she, yeah, for her pack, she's, yeah, yeah, she's got a political action committee. And she's an insurrectionist, too. Right. I mean, it's just crazy. It really is crazy. So we'll see what happens with that. I'm guessing not a whole lot will happen with that. The other thing is, too, you know, you get into arguments, not me personally necessarily, but you see arguments online with people saying... Well, what about this Supreme Court justice, this liberal Supreme Court justice? They did this. Fine. Investigate all of them. If yeah. they broke the law, yeah. get their asses out of there. I don't care if it's a Republican or Democrat. It just so happens right now, Clarence Thomas is the one in hot water. If it was Sotomayor, investigate her ass. <laughs> I'm not going to stop them from doing it. It's always you know, both sides, whereas I think normally, at least a lot of the people I know, are both sides like, yes, get them both in trouble. Right. Whereas the it's, Republican yeah. side is saying, well, you do it too, so we should all get away with it. Whereas we're saying, no, nobody should get away with it. Right. There should be an investigation. Justice Department should subpoena him. Absolutely. But as of right now, it doesn't sound like they're going to do that because then the Republicans are just going to say it's political, political theater. And they're going to whine and complain and be victims again. Poor, right. poor, yeah, Republicans. poor Republicans. Poor Clarence Thomas. That's right. Uh, I did want to mention, I skipped over this in, in our cock talk, talking about caucuses, but I did want to mention that the Democrats have selected where they're going to be holding their 2024 national convention, and it is in Chicago, which I think I probably had the same reaction as you did, where maybe now is not the time to do this in Chicago, just because it's such a hot button. Anytime you bring up school shootings or anything like that, spend a day in Chicago, you know, all the Chicago shootings, I guess... I wish that they would expand, do it in even like Milwaukee or Detroit, somewhere where it's more of a battleground state, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia. But Illinois is going to be a Democratic state. Why hold it in Chicago? Well, they say it's because it's easy to organize in Chicago. And I can't organize my desk, so I'm not going to comment <laughs> we'll on that. We'll take their word for it, yeah. Okay, but still it's dumb. Do it in Atlanta. Yeah. Atlanta was the second choice. Look at how two Senate seats were got for Democrats, controlled by Democrats, by the narrowest of margins. If you put all that money, all those people into Atlanta, don't you think that that would help those senators? It would help turn Georgia blue, but instead they have to do the easy thing. It was ridiculous. It's a ridiculous decision. Milwaukee would have been fine. Detroit would have been fine. But Atlanta, which came in second, should have been the choice. Agree completely. We don't have a whole lot of good news this week. There just wasn't. I literally like searched for good news. And there's just not a whole lot of good news in the state of Iowa right now. Although the weather's kind of nice today. But 
Caitlin Clark continues to be our bright spot in the state of Iowa. She is the first ever unanimous national player of the year in Big Ten women's basketball history. So she won all of the national player of the year honors, the first woman from the Big Ten conference to be a unanimous player of the year. So, Well, there's other good news. I mean, Caitlin Clark is always good news, but there's other good news is that I've been to the legislature several times this year and Democrats are fighting like hell. Yeah. They're really working hard and they deserve kudos in a very difficult environment for them. They've been courageous. That's our good story. We're going to keep telling that story. There's a lot of good senators and, and House representatives that are Democratic with that bill that they were discussing overnight, the child labor laws that they want to change and make it easier for kids to work in hazardous environments or late at night, they wouldn't even allow questions. The Republicans would not allow questions from the Democrats. They said it was partly because of some Supreme Court, Iowa Supreme Court decision in 2020. It was because they just want to silence the other side. Right, and because they know it's wrong, but they're answering to somebody else, pulling their puppet strings. They know it's wrong, and they know if they discuss things, they might have to show some courage. They're as as cowardly as Mike Pence. Somebody is pulling their strings. So congratulations, Caitlin Clark. Thank you to the Iowa Democrats in Des Moines for fighting for us, even though they're powerless. And that is a hard spot to be in, and they continue to work very hard. It's time for my top five. We've talked about it several times, Dr. Bob. Iowan-born athletes, my top five this week. So we'll see how well I match up with you. You may have one or two. There's one or two, I think, that could be on this list that I didn't include. But we'll just start with number five, top five Iowan athletes. These are all born or grew up in the state of Iowa. So it's not played for the Iowa Hawkeyes or played for the Cyclones. They were born and raised in Iowa. Number five, Ricky Davis. You've never heard of Ricky Davis, have you? I looked him up. (laughs) You saw and you looked him up. He played for Iowa for one year and then he went to the NBA. He had about a 10-year career in the NBA, was very successful. His probably claim to fame, though, was sort of a blooper. So he was just a rebound shy of a triple-double. He had double-digit points, double-digit assists, and he needed one extra rebound to get the triple-double. And he shot at the wrong basket and rebounded that miss for his 10th rebound. But what was interesting to me is all the places all over the world that he played for different pro games. I mean, that was... That's why I like him. He should just be on in your top five just for playing for like 18 different foreign clubs. He was, yeah, he was kind of my personal favorite. I think the top four are pretty much across the board. Most people would probably agree with. But yeah, that was my, I had to get Ricky Davis in there. I love Ricky Davis. He was from Davenport, by the way. Number four, Niall Kinnick. Could have been my might be surprised that he is number four. And yeah, he certainly would have been either a senator or, or a governor for the state of Iowa, which could have led to him having the presidency. He was born in Adel, Iowa. Bob Feller is number three. You know Bob Feller's nickname? One of the best nicknames in sports history. Bullet Bob. I don't know. That's a good one. I bet you he was called Bullet Bob, but he's the heater from Van Meter. You know, I met him once. No way. Yeah, I met him once. I was at a baseball game. I don't know where I was, 
But I met him, talked to him briefly, shook his hand, and his hand was like as big as a catcher's mitt. He right. was, just he could have just <laughs> crushed my hand. Right. Yeah. And you're not a small person either. No, but he, yeah, it was just ginormous hands, just freak of nature hands. <laughs> number three is Bob Feller. So, so far, Ricky Davis is five, Niall Kinnick is four, Bob Feller is number three. Number two is Caitlin Clark. Yep. She's a newbie, but I think she's the second best athlete in the history with the chance. She's still got plenty more college career, pro career. Who knows what she does after her pro career? She could become a coach, commentator. She's going to be a Hall of Famer in just about any basketball Hall of Fame that there is across the country. Caitlin Clark from Des Moines. She's number two on our list. Number one is, why don't you say it? Dan Gable. Dan Gable is number one. I'm sure you don't have a problem with that. No, I wrestled Dan Gable in practice. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. And did um, you get your ass kicked or did you hold your own? Well, he was probably at 160 pounds. I weighed about 220. This was back in the day when and I wrestled for you and I, where we would travel all over. We'd go to the University of Iowa or, or Iowa State, and we'd just, whenever, in the summers, you know, you'd just pick up matches wherever you could, and he was in the practice room, and we wrestled, and uh, it was really interesting in the sense that, I don't even want to say this, but I got the first takedown. Really? But, yeah, I mean, I know people <laughs> think i but I did. I but, believe I was you. A lot, you know, I was a lot bigger than him. But the thing about him was there's only two people I've ever met that did this. Rich Benick, who was a you know, several-time NCAA champion from Iowa State, a teammate of Dan Gables, 177-pounder. There's only two guys I've ever wrestled, after all the people I wrestled in college and high school, that when they touched you, you felt your strength being drained away. Just his touch sure. made you weak. Right. I can imagine. I was not a wrestler. I wrestled, you know, a couple years in like second and third grade youth wrestling. And that's how I felt in fourth grade. That's why I quit because anybody that touched me on the <laughs> upper arm or whatever, no. I don't want to be held in a cradle. I don't want to be pinned. I don't want you choke holding me out. I'll go back to the basketball court <laughs> and have fun that way. So Dan Gable, the number one Iowa athlete. So anybody that I missed, anybody come – because I've got two, I think, that that some people would say probably deserve over Ricky Davis, even though he is my personal favorite. Sean Johnson, the Olympic gold yeah. medalist, certainly probably deserves to be in the top five or six. And then Zach Johnson, yeah, Masters champion, British Open champion, yeah. you know, one of the best golfers over the course of the past, you know, 20 years or so. So Sean Johnson and Zach Johnson, I think, would be the two that probably feel left out of my top five and who's the UNI quarterback that was Kurt Warner today? that's another Kurt one Warner. yeah Kurt Warner is another good one too yeah, yeah. he's good. from Cedar Rapids yeah and let me just say Dan Gable is a great guy and while you're wrestling him he's coaching you yeah, yeah just so I'm sure it was amazing. a huge learning experience just yeah just to Absolutely. be able to wrestle him next week we're going to do my top five pet peeves so be thinking of your pet peeves We'll see if yours compare to mine. Okay. I'm sure you've got all sorts of pet peeves. Well, none are none are coming to mind right now if we did it now. Do some thinking. All right. Maybe you can look at my list beforehand and, and think of some of your own. Anything else to add, Dr. Bob, as we near the end of this week's episode? Just that I'm feeling good. Going to I mean, we've got some incredible challenges ahead of us, but 
We've got some real fighters in the Idaho legislature and in Congress. Just need some more of them. Yep. Hopefully we can help pave the way for that. Dr. Bob, thanks as always. We'll see you again next week. Looking forward to it. This is the Iowa Revolution Podcast. Thanks for tuning in this week. We are part of the Iowa Podcasters Collaborative. Make sure you subscribe to our Substack so you can get this podcast straight to your email each and every week. You can also listen wherever you might want to listen. Spotify, Apple, iHeart, whatever it might be. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.